It is, uh, good morning. Sorry, to give you an opportunity to respond. That's on me. So that's why we did that again. Uh, it is good to see you all. Thankful that we can be together uh, in worship today. Thankful for what the Lord has done in our midst already. What the Lord, I hope and pray, will continue to do as we study his word together. And uh, man, I don't know about you, but uh, I have been encouraged uh, this weekend um, by uh, some words. I don't know if these folks intended to encourage me with their words, but they did. It wasn't addressed to me. Um, it was just a beautiful word about our gospel communities um, over the weekend. Um, and the way it was put was how thankful these folks were for their gospel communities and how uh, this gospel community has become family for them. And so one of our families had a chance to step in and help another family. And I thought, man, what a beautiful picture of what gospel community was meant to do. Um, gospel in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, living out our faith, how in community. See what we did there? Like, really easy, really easy. And so I'm just thankful for that and the encouragement that comes from that. Now, I say all that to say this. If you're not a part of a local GC, a local gospel community, then let me encourage you to, to join with one. There's multiple gospel communities meeting throughout the area, and we would love for you to be a part of that and be a part of what it's like to experience a, a more in-depth and, and personal look within the faith family. So uh, again, thankful that you're here today, but would encourage you to be a part of those GCs as well. And if you're a part of the one I'm talking about, thank you for your service. You know exactly who you are, and I'm incredibly encouraged. And I think all of our GCs could probably share similar stories of how the faith family has stepped in in times of care and in times of concern. Now, with that, we are back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians for quite some time. And so we are walking with Paul as he continues to write to the Corinthian Christians here in 1 Corinthians. And this morning, we are going to uh, continue in chapter 1. We've got one more week in chapter 1, and then praise be to God, we are moving on uh, to chapter 2. Um, but there is a lot uh, to unpack over these next couple uh, weeks together. And as we prepare to jump into this, I want you to just kind of bear in mind and think through uh, the question of what it means to have wisdom and what, what wisdom actually looks like. Because you see, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we now live in a society, in a world that is incredibly critical of Christianity. Okay, I'm not naive enough to sit here and tell people that we live in a Christian nation. That is not true. However, at the same time, I'm also not naive enough to think that we are experiencing the type of persecution that our brothers and sisters are experiencing in the Middle East as well. However, what I would say is as a Western civilization, as a Western society, people around us, people that we know, family, friends, loved ones, have become incredibly critical of Christianity and incredibly critical of the message of Jesus Christ. I mean, have you noticed how quickly the gospel itself, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ is mocked? Have you noticed how quickly it's, it's made fun of or it's, or it's judged as if, as if Jesus is some sort of pawn that just does our bidding whenever we ask of him. You know, it's very interesting that we're, we're talking about who Jesus is on the weekend when the United Kingdom is celebrating the coronation of their king. And I thought to myself as I'm reading all the social media stuff about that, I'm like, look at the pageantry and the celebration, and yet what's missed in all of it is the fact that there truly is only one king of kings and lord of lords, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there will be a day where Charles himself will bow his knees before him. You know, I remember earlier this week watching a movie itself, and it's amazing to me even how media has become incredibly critical 
of Christianity, probably more so than other religions. I was watching a, a movie, I'll go ahead and be honest, it was an action movie, which is good for my soul, uh, because I don't get a lot of those in a house full of girls. However, it was great, it was action, not a lot of emotion, just a lot of things getting blown up. It was very wonderful in my mind uh, to be entertained in that way, but I was watching this movie, and this movie was talking about the end of times. It was talking about the end of the world. Now, before you try to guess what movie I was watching, let me go ahead and put your mind at ease. No, it was not left behind, okay? I do not believe that Kirk Cameron is going to save us, okay? So let's just go ahead and put that out there. However, this movie was about major disasters that were taking place all over the globe. And then what caught my attention was there's this one moment where the main character is, is having a conversation with kind of one of the, the side characters, if you will, the, the funny character, kind of adding fodder to the movie, if you will. And they begin this conversation about what's happening all around them. And the, the, the comedic character says it this way. He talks about how all the different religions believe it's this, that, and the other. And then he says this line. He says, Christianity calls what's taking place the apocalypse, or better yet, the day of judgment. But the reality is they're not right. They're just close. And then he goes on to describe the devastation as really a scientific phenomenon that man knew was coming. That man saw the destruction of the earth and had known about it for quite some time and thus had built a plan for what was about to take place. Now what's interesting to me is this was said in a movie to kind of create tension, and yet what's so interesting is this is exactly how society speaks of Christianity. People think in their own wisdom that they can now explain or justify everything that we believe as Christians. They think they can explain away all that we believe, even the things that we hold on to as faith, they believe that they can explain them as some sort of scientific phenomenon. I mean, we actually see this played out in the Old Testament with the magicians who were with Pharaoh in the days of Moses. They simply sought to justify, magically if they could, every plague that came upon the Egyptians. And so this is what happens in our world. Our modern world calls what we believe the gospel, our faith in Jesus Christ. They call it folly because there is no way that the message of Jesus Christ can be true. So our world relies on its own versions of what is to come and what is going to happen next. In fact, they turn to things like crystals. And no, I'm not talking about the fast food restaurant. Though it may bring about rapture if you eat there, that is not what we're talking about, right? They turn to card readings, seeking out what their future may hold. They begin speaking about some sort of great spirit in the sky, and they begin to write songs about it. And then they try to tell us as believers that, that really there's been other deities who've been around as long, if not longer, than Jesus Christ. And so here's what happens to us as Christians if we're not careful we can get lost in the conversations. We can get lost in the, the entertainment and the, and the lore of the culture as we watch movies and shows about the pageantry of pagan cultures played out before us. And so because of all these options, when people are introduced to the good news of the gospel, 
when they're introduced to the message of the cross, they, they call it foolishness. And then they say of those who herald the gospel, who proclaim the gospel, that the message you are proclaiming is the foolish message. Now, Paul actually addresses this concern next in his letter as he talks about the wisdom that is now found in knowing God. So through our text this morning, Paul's going to show the church the proclaiming power, pleasure, preaching, and praise of what is now called the foolish message. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we are going to begin reading together in verse 18. Now, once you have found your place, if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, Paul, in this passage, is seeking to draw the church again closer together in unity. And ultimately, what he does is he turns his attention to now answering why the message of the cross does not fit in the rhetoric of the modern world. And so Paul tells the church that what the world now calls foolishness, the, this message, the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, literally unleashes the transforming power of God. So just like in Jesus's day, the Corinthian Christians were now dealing with people who really ultimately came to church because they wanted to see the spectacle of God. Just like in Jesus's day, they wanted to, to show up for the miracles. They, they gathered at the church to see the smoke and to, and to, to see the lights and to, to see the glitter. And they were hoping to walk away feeling good about their sin-sick life that they continue to live in. Hello, sounds familiar, doesn't it? And yet, here is Paul teaching us teaching the Corinthian Christians that it was the will of God to see people coming to a saving knowledge of faith through the proclamation of the message of the cross. In other words, it's not the glitter that saves. It's not the smoke that saves. It's not the light show that saves. It is the message of Jesus Christ. The message that they call foolishness. 
So what Paul will do in our passage is he will explain why the foolish message as described by the people is actually the message that changes the outcome, or better yet, the trajectory of a man's life. And Paul does this by answering a very simple question. Why is the foolish message so important? He gives us four reasons. And again, I want to say to you before we jump in, I'm trying something new today to help our children who are in the room. We're going to go with a little bit of good old school alliteration. So buckle up because this doesn't happen often. You ready? Here we go. Point number one, why is the foolish message so important? Verse 18 and 19, Paul says that the foolish message proclaims the power of God. Notice how Paul opens by reminding the Corinthian Christians that eloquent rhetoric should not be the focus of what is deemed as good preaching and teaching. But rather, good preaching and and teaching focuses on the message of the the cross. Now remember, a week ago, we talked about this last week. Paul's actually picking up on that point when he said that substance matters over style. So for the non-Christian the message of the cross to them was extremely distasteful because crucifixion was considered the worst and most humiliating way to die. Now more on that in a moment. But notice how Paul responds to them when he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. You see, the people that Paul is referencing here were so grossed out by the method of death, the crucifixion itself, that they were no longer seeing the meaning of the death and why it was Jesus Christ who had to go to the cross. So notice how Paul then contrasts these people with with those of us who are being saved, which he writes in the present tense here. So again, Paul teaches us that there's a difference between those who call the message folly and those of us who are seeking to understand it because we are being saved. In other words, Paul's teaching us that salvation in our lives is still a process. Yes, when you came to faith in Christ, you are saved, but God, by his grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is still working out our salvation until it comes to full completion on the day we stand before judgment. We call this sanctification. And it will not be fully realized until we stand before the throne of God. And God, through Christ who stands with us, says, not guilty. You see, in an interesting turn of events, notice how Paul does not contrast here the differences between the foolishness of the non-believers with the wisdom of those who believe, but rather this is what he does. He describes salvation not in terms of wisdom, but he describes it this way. He says, as the power of God. Now, this is important because this is similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, when he says that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, the message of the cross is not just a matter of wisdom. It's it's not just the gospel itself. It's not just a a helpful tool in understanding the the world. It's not just a, a helpful tool that's in our arsenal. Rather, the message is a proclamation by the will of God according to the power of God that calls for change in the lives of individuals. So Paul in this moment is literally saying 
I do not want you to focus on the wisdom of the message and thus continue spiraling in a path that praises man for his articulate and eloquent words. Why? Because your salvation is not from man who speaks well. No, your, your salvation comes from the message of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in that message because it's the message of Jesus that by the grace of God, that gospel, that good news is what has changed your lives. In other words, the foolish message is a message that proclaims the power of God. Let me unpack that. Paul is reminding the Corinthian Christians in order to grow in their own holiness, to remember and understand that it is God himself who is doing the work. It is not the words of man. Now, last Sunday evening, we actually talked about this a little bit in our uh, prayer gathering. And we talked about, if you were here, you remember, we talked about engaging uh, the world with the proclamation of the gospel. And we talked about how um, substance matters over style. And we talked about what matters is the message itself. And we talked about how all of us could probably remember at some point, someone sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with us. And chances are, you might remember who that person is. And so what Paul is saying this morning is, it's good to remember that. That's nice. But really what matters is the message that person proclaims. And so I'm going to tell you that I remember, I remember telling you this story. I remember specifically uh, the man who shared the gospel with me. And, and I remember how my life came full circle as a church planner when that man showed up with a, with a team that was supposed to help us share the gospel. And I got to introduce him to my wife and my family. It was incredible. It was just an awesome experience. But, but what mattered more to me in that particular moment is, is not the fact that I remember the man, but what's more important is I remember the message that he shared with me. Like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he came to my high school and shared John 3.16 in a way that I have never heard. And here I stand as a four-year-old man, not giving that out, an older man, and I can still remember the words as if it was yesterday. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you there's been times where I've had opportunities to share the gospel and I use the same words that this brother shared with me and I have never forgotten them. You see, here's the truth that Paul is trying to communicate to us. The message is what matters. It doesn't matter about the wisdom of the man who is speaking because it's the message that now changes lives because the message proclaims the power of God. So to simplify, what the world calls foolish is what saves the world from death. Coming back to the text, Paul continues and he quotes Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14 here in order to show that God rejects the wisdom of the wise, but also to show that the power of God, or what the power of God can do through the foolish message. Now, if you were to look back at Isaiah chapter 29, you have this moment where Isaiah prophesies that Israel would come under siege, but good news, they would escape harm. Yet in this particular story, we find out that there were other prophets who were seeking to determine the signs of the times. And here's what was happening. They were determining these signs. And the reality was they were completely wrong. Why? Because their hearts were far from God. 
They were seeking, excuse me, they were seeking their own accolades through their own wisdom versus seeking the wisdom of God itself. And so Paul teaches that like the words from old, God in his power will hide wisdom from those who believe themselves to be wise. You see, here Paul is teaching that under no circumstance should we have pride in our own human wisdom. I mean, don't believe me. Flip over to the book of Job when God begins to address Job. And what, what's the point of that? Not just to beat up on Job, but basically you see that our wisdom is clearly limited. So brothers and sisters in Christ, realize today that the foolish message proclaims the power of God. In other words, our own wisdom does not lead us to a path of God. Our own wisdom, relying upon our own wisdom, leads us to pride, which will lead us to a path of destruction. Rather, it is the power of God that has done the work in saving us. Thus, if we're going to seek any wisdom, let's seek the wisdom that is given to us by God. Let's seek the wisdom that is found in the word of God because our faith and our salvation really is the power of God which is at work in our lives and not our own wisdom. You see, here's the reality. There's a lot of good stuff out there that we can read. There's a lot of good stuff out there that we can listen to. There's a lot of good pastors that we can go home on a Sunday afternoon and, and listen to them preach and be like, man, thanks be to God, this brother podcasts. But none of those things should ever take the place of the wisdom that comes from the word. Because it's in the word where we see the power of God proclaimed. Secondly, Paul continues, and he teaches us in verse 20 and 21. He says that the foolish message is so important because the foolish message pleases God. Now notice here that Paul questions, where are the wise? He questions, where's the scribe and, and the debater of this age? Now notice that, that Paul is encompassing more people who really don't believe in the message of the cross. So let's just kind of take stock of who Paul is talking about here. First, he mentions the wise. These were the Jews and the Greeks, or better yet, the Gentiles in general, who believed that they had more wisdom than the Corinthian Christians. He then spoke of the scribes, who were a representation of the government officials who were supposed to be the experts in the law. And then he speaks of the debater. The debater was the intellectuals, the ones who gathered in open square uh, to talk about all that they had learned, who were really good with their rhetorical skills, who were there to declare their own versions of truth to the public. But then notice the phrase that Paul uses to describe them. He says, where is the wise and where is the scribe and where is the debater of this age? That's the phrase that I would underline. You see, when Paul speaks of the, the phrase of this age, he's literally meaning that their, their wisdom, the wisdom of the, the scribe, the wisdom of the wise, the wisdom of the debater, their wisdom is limited because they do not know nor seek to understand the age to come. Literally, Paul is saying that these people believed 
that they were esteemed because of their own wisdom. And yet Paul questions, where are those who are esteemed because of their relationship with God? Now again, Paul is not saying that these people are not good speakers. Nor is he saying that these people are not intellects. He's not downplaying just the mind and the work at all. But rather what he is saying is this, is that if you do not know the one true God who created the universe, the one true God who upholds you through salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord, then your wisdom is ultimately foolish because it is limited. It's almost like listening to the person who speaks with authority and yet has no idea what they are talking about. I remember uh, being in Athens, Georgia, and I had an opportunity to go on um, a tour of the big uh, genetic science lab up there, which was really awesome. Learned a lot of stuff, got a chance to hang out with a a PhD in genetics. And this guy was incredibly smart, and thanks be to God, he was a believer, and so he was giving us this tour of the building, and the stuff he was showing us, it blew my mind. Like, literally, he had me hold this vat in my hand, and I'm like, what is this? And he was like, this is the original strain of Ebola, so please don't drop it. I was like, really? Like, you trust me with that? Like, this has got to be bad, right? So anyway, so I gave it back to him immediately, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not a part of this. But I found out that's what a lot of his work was. He'd been working with folks in Africa with another lab in Europe, and they were trying to help with all the Ebola cases that were going on. And he started taking us around the lab, and we got to see all this cool stuff and went into this dark room where they were doing all this stuff with like lights. It was really cool. Uh, but what blew me away uh, was when he said these words to me. He said, here is what we know of science. And on a dry erase board, he drew a circle, and he drew shaded in a small section of the circle. And I said, what is the the white part? He said, all of that is what we don't know and have yet to discover. He said, and here's the sad part. Most scientists will tell us as we continue to discover, eventually we're going to discover God. He said, but here's the problem. When they say they're going to discover God, what they're really seeking to do is they're seeking to refute God. And so here's the reality. He took that circle and then drew a big square around it. And I asked him, what was that? He said, that is God. God created what they know to be true, and it was God who created what is unknown. And what they don't realize is eventually, yes, the science is going to lead them to God, whether they discover it all or whether God calls them to judgment. One way or another, they're going to experience it. You see, this is where our wisdom is limited when we only focus on the wisdom of man, we only know a small fraction of the puzzle. And like my scientist friend would say, it's not even a full slice. It's just, it's like a pizza just eating the crust. That's all you're getting. Why would you order a pizza and just do that? You're not even getting a full slice. And yet that's all we know. Imagine how much more we could learn if we were to open the minds and say, that God is in all of this, what is known and what is unknown. Now notice what happens, verse 21, Paul continues by saying that the world's failure to know God through wisdom really was no accident at all, but rather God in his wisdom reveals that all people lacked at some point the saving grace and the knowledge of God. In fact, he says the same thing in Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 10 and 11. He says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks 
for God. So in Romans chapter 3, coming back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul reminds the church that all of us stand in need of salvation. And thanks be to God that he's, he's revealed himself to some of us. But then notice the next words that Paul writes. He says, and it pleased God. I would highlight and underline that phrase or circle it. And it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He is saying that it was God's sovereign good pleasure to rescue those who believe from his wrath. Do you understand that today, brothers and sisters in Christ? You are saved today. Why? Not because of you. Not because of your own merit or your own good looks or whatever you think it is. You are saved because of God's sovereign good pleasure. Now often, just to kind of unpack a little more of what I'm talking about, often we hear people say in foolishness, this is what they say to us. They say, how can such a loving and good God allow people to go to hell? How can such a loving and good God allow all these horrific things to happen and ultimately people end up in hell? Well, Paul answers this question for us. In this passage, he lists, he says, look, God is just. Paul would agree God is the the righteous judge. And the reality is this, all of us stand condemned. So it is foolish to think that we don't deserve death. It's foolishness to think that we don't deserve eternal death because of the sins of our lives. That's why the passage also says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And then it continues, for the wages of sin is death. However, Paul says what is more astonishing is that this foolish message of Christ is the foolish message of Christ crucified, and that is what saves us. In other words, we deserve death, but yet it was God who gave us the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, and he did it for his good pleasure. So really what's unbelievable is that God gives us his grace. What's unbelievable is that we were given eternal life, a life that we didn't deserve, a life that we couldn't earn even on our best day. That is what is unbelievable. And so after teaching that foolish message is the power of God on display, and then teaching that it pleases God to reveal this message. Paul now turns his attention to what the content of the message is, which we find in verse 22 and verse 23. And this is where Paul teaches us that the foolish message is important because the foolish message preaches Christ. Paul says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Notice how for the Jews, they were looking for something to to validate their faith. And yet the sign that they were given, the the crucified Messiah, the one who was prophesied about, was rejected here uh, as not in line with what they believed was supposed to happen. You see, they believed that some sort of king would come riding in on a white horse in shining armor with armies and he would fight for their physical freedom. And so they missed 
Jesus Christ. They missed the true message of freedom and not just a physical living freedom, but freedom from sin, freedom to be reunited with God for all eternity. They missed the mark. Paul says for the Greeks who seek wisdom, these are the Gentiles. You see, they wanted salvation, but they wanted salvation on their own terms. They wanted good rhetoric. They wanted style. They wanted a salvation that was wrapped in knowledge of books. And yet in their own quest for wisdom, Paul teaches that they missed the mark of some of the most basic teachings that we see in the Old Testament that ultimately point to a Messiah to come. So in missing the signs and in missing the wisdom, Paul says, here's what God does. God frustrates man's plans for how to unpack salvation so that none can boast in their pride that they have figured out this salvation apart from God. Do we see it? We cannot boast in our own work of salvation. The only thing we can boast on is what Jesus Christ has done through the power of God. Paul continues, verse 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. Now again, the word preached here is the word to proclaim or better yet to herald. In other words, all those who are in Christ are now called to make known the message of the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So here's here's Paul saying, hey, we have preached this message. And he's, he's not just saying it for his own benefit, but rather he's saying to the church, and you continue to herald and proclaim the message of the cross. But then notice what he says. He says, that this message will be a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. I mean, talk about a word. I mean, this is no longer the Great Commission where, where Jesus is saying to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is, this is more like, a, like an Ezekiel kind of message. Where, where God says to Ezekiel, I'm sending you out among the briars and the thorns and, and you will live among the scorpions. This is more like an Isaiah chapter 6 message where where God asks, whom shall I send and who will go before us? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. And then what does God say to him? You will go and proclaim the message and you will speak, but they will not hear. You will teach and they will not understand. Notice this is not a message that we're used to hearing when it comes to sharing the gospel. Literally, Paul says that the preached word of Christ will not matter to many of them because of their own wisdom, their own personal pride, their own wisdom in what they believe. They will see this message as foolishness because neither group, Jew nor Gentile, can believe that salvation would come through something so scandalous and inconceivable and ludicrous as the Messiah being executed on the cross. And that's where their story stops. But as we know, oh, there's a resurrection. But this is exactly what the Corinthian Christians were dealing with. You see, Christ did die the most humiliating and excruciating death. But he did it so that we might 
be saved. And that is the message that Paul is encouraging the church to preach. Now, some would argue at this point, well, how can I believe in someone who is the son of God with all power and with all authority? How can I believe in them when they die in such a humiliating way? Well, there's an answer. And the answer's in the form of a question, well, what's more humiliating? Jesus Christ dying the death that we deserved? Jesus dying on the cross for the glory of God, for our sins, so that we could be saved and reunited with him, or one day standing before the judgment seat of God and being told, depart from me, for I never knew you because of our sin. So yes, the death of Jesus Christ was humiliating. Yes, it was humbling. Paul says all these things. Yes, it's hard to fathom, but it pales in comparison to what will happen to those who don't believe when they come to the judgment seat of God. So Paul teaches that in Christ, the message preached is one of saving grace. It's foolishness to think that, that someone else could have done that for us. It's foolishness to think that, that there could have been another way. In fact, Jesus tells us as much in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So brothers and sisters, hear this word from Paul when it comes to the preached message of Christ. You can either call it salvation or you can call it foolishness. But here's the reality. The preached message of Jesus Christ is the only way to eternity in heaven and an eternity spent with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. There is no other way. I'm going to take it a step further. There is no other message. And so what Paul does is he now transitions from preaching Christ to now giving us the final aspect of this foolish message. And he says again, why is this so important? Because the foolish message praises the wisdom of God. Verse 24 and 25. Now again, pay attention in these verses because we have begun in verse, going back to verse 18, we began with the proclamation of the power of God. Then we moved from there talking about how this pleases God. It pleases God to do the work of salvation, which is a word of encouragement for us as believers, which then leads us to the message itself, which is the preached word of Jesus Christ. And so now Paul says that this message should now lead to praise for the people. He starts by saying, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Paul is saying for the Corinthian Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, you are called to him. And then he goes on, by Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice again how Paul doubles down on the fact that the message of Jesus Christ reveals a transforming power to those who believe in the wisdom of God that is found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. He literally just tied verse 24 and 25 back to verse 18. But then pay attention to what Paul gives us. He gives us a hint to the fact that this message of salvation is effective. We're going to talk more about that next week, by the way. Now let me define effective and what I mean. Simply, layman terms. It means the good news of Jesus Christ has been, should be preached to all. But only some 
are drawn to the call that leads to faith. It's effective. More on that next week. Coming back to our text, Paul closes by saying, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice Paul shares that the wisdom and the strength of man pales in comparison to the wisdom and the strength of God. Even God's weakest point, if there was such a thing, which, oh, by the way, there's not. However, for the sake of argument, let's imagine God had a weakness. He doesn't. Okay? I'm going to say it again. I don't want anybody walking out of here going, pastor said God has a weakness. No, I didn't. I'm just using it as an analogy like Paul did. Okay? God has no weaknesses. However, on his weakest day, in his weakest moment, if there ever was such a thing, God's weakest point is greater than the strongest point that man could ever possess. You see, what man calls foolish is the wisdom of God that is found in the message of Jesus Christ. What man calls weak is the power of God at work in the life of his people who have come to faith in him. And yet, it will be God through faith that will last for all of eternity. Why? Because in faith, we now rest securely in the hands of our loving God. Our world, with all of its wisdom, is going to vanish. Our world, in all of its wisdom, in the blink of an eye, is going to be turned to ash. And the only thing that will remain is the wisdom found in the Word through the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this message, Paul says, may seem foolish, but this is the message that leads to saving grace. It's a message that leads to a power to which the world has never known. As one scholar said it, he said it best. He said, only the called recognize that Christ is God's power and wisdom for what seems weak is actually strong and what seems foolish is actually wise. Hence, the glory goes entirely to God and not to human beings. Praise God. Praise God that when we stand before him in worship, no single pastor is going to be given glory. It's just going to be God. Praise God that when we are in glory worshiping, no church is going to stand out. It is just going to believe the believers in Jesus Christ praising his name. Praise God that he is the only one who will get all the glory. So I want to ask you this question. Man, do you see the power and the strength and the wisdom that is found on the cross? Do you see and do you know the power and the strength and the, and the wisdom that is held in the gospel, what the world calls foolish? Because if you do, then let me encourage you this morning to continue to live out your faith. Don't allow doubts to creep in from the supposed wisdom of the wor world. Rather, Remain faithful to the preached message of Christ, which reveals the true power of God. You see, this message 
that Paul talks about, the message that the world calls foolish, is literally the message that turns the world upside down. Why? Because everything points to Jesus Christ. And yet, here's what's going to happen. To sum up, Paul is going to remind us that man will continue to run blindly after his own wisdom, which he says is foolishness. And so Paul says to the believer, never lose sight of what it is that God has done. For God has determined that human wisdom will not lead to the path of salvation that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rather, as God's people, let's choose to trust the message of the cross. Let's choose to trust the message of the resurrection. A message that has been given to us. A message that proclaims the power of God. A message given by God by his good pleasure. Not because we earned it. Not because of any of our own merit. But given to us by his good pleasure. A message that preaches Christ crucified and preaches Christ resurrected and preaches our hope is in Christ alone. A message that leads to praise and to the praise of the wisdom of God who established this message from the beginning. So again, as the world calls us foolish, as they say to us that you are following a foolish message. Let's remember that as we seek to grow in our own holiness, it is, as Paul says, that foolish message that leads us back to Christ. So brothers and sisters, never lose sight of the wisdom that we have in the word and the wisdom that has been given to us by God for his glory alone. May let's pray together.